and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Attempting to marry Philippe Poulain, the sports landscape. This is Tim and Friends. That's right. It's a verb to come through for you when it matters the absolute most. Our goal is to be your Mary Philippe Poulain. Tim and Friends for Wednesday, September f- September 1st, mm. 2021. Ask. Dear God, anyone else scared of the fall? Because that means another winter of this ish. Is that just me, Jesse? Like, are you- no, we're, yeah, we're good. We're good. When you say we're good, you mean you're good, because I'm not good. No, you're good. You're good. You'll turn it around here. You think so? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a good winter. I I I feel it. I feel it in my bones. I need to be able to go out for walks and not put a toque on my fat, bald head. Mm. Like, I don't, I need to be able to go out in the backyard and just chill out. Like, I can't, there's no fire tables in downtown Toronto that can, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's tough. That's a tough one. I guess I could get like a fire table table as opposed to just lighting this stuff on. Just get some heaters in the backyard, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's it. Unlimited budget. You're no good. problem. Yeah. yeah, here we go. Ho-hum. Tim and Fred's. No here we go. Tim and Fred's type budget. Yeah, let's get the heaters in the backyard. Maybe I'll get. You are brightening up my day. There you go. That's what I'm here those for. those incandescent lighters exactly. that go in the backyard. Yes, that is Love how it. you're lightening up Oh, day. I can't wait All for right, that. Listen, I can't wait to talk to you about a couple of things today. One, Canadian women kicking ass and taking names across all sports. Chief among the things that I want to talk about. All right, stepping in to discuss the latest chapter in the never-failing rivalry of Canada and the United States in women's hockey is former world champion five-time, five-time Jen Botterill and current world champion Aaron Ambrose, who played last night in Calgary, and it won't stop there. I got a few things that I need to say about the Toronto Blue Jays today. John Paul Morosi, MLB Network, will be among my friends today, as will Ian Eagle. As our divisional previews continue in the National Football League with the AFC North, potentially the best division in football, NFC West, Right there, and I'm going to say it right here right now. Jesse Rubinoff, as you are my witness, the AFC East might be right there when all is said and done as the best division in the National Football League. I'm excited to break all this mark down. It down. It's marked down. Is it marked it's down? Vault. It's been vaulted in my brain, and we'll, right. we'll make sure it's vaulted properly. We'll forget about it if it doesn't work out. <laughs> exactly. Let's get the show on the road. Rubinoff, first things first. Let's go. First things first. Uh, by the way, I just found a backyard heater online for under 200 bucks. So really, what just do you saying. mean backyard heater? Like, what does that mean? It's like, just—it's like a stand with like the heat comes out of the base, yeah. right? And it lights up, whatever. Under 200 bucks. Yeah. Like not one of those restaurant ones where it pops up and then it's out no, at the no, top no. and the thing like that. No, that's like too that. serious. We're okay. not. Yeah. Yeah, no. that I would think would be more than 200. Yeah, we're yeah we're on a budget here. Okay. Yeah. Balling on a budget. Well, yeah, we can talk about it after the show. Uh, <laughs> what a game last night in Calgary. Marie-Philippe Poulain does it again, scoring the overtime winner as Canada beat the U.S. 3-2 to win their first World Championship gold since 2012. Canada coming back from trailing 2-0 after whoa, whoa, the first Whoa, 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 hold on a second here. There's 
there's only one way that this show mm. in any way shape or form can tackle a game-winning goal from Mary-Philippe Poulain for a gold medal in any sort of major tournament, best on best, and it's to do this. Your boy, Joe Esposito, the Karate Kid. And for those who don't remember why this song fits Mary-Philippe Poulain. Gold medal winning game winner. Again. Yeah. It's because. Knock, knock. Who's there? Gold medal in the face. That's who's there. Woo! True story. Uh, I got the Bud Light here. <laughs> but we haven't used it in so long that the batteries ran out. And you just can't get these. Like that at Rabba across the street. Like oh, they, they didn't have them? Apparently they no. didn't have them. Really? That's devastating. That is devastating. Yeah, I thought of this way too late, and I didn't get the double Ds on that. So, yeah, we are uh, we are without gold medal I'd lights. say it worked out better that we didn't have the batteries. So. Knock, knock, who's there? Gold medal in the face, that's who's there. Uh, a wonderful memory. Uh and unbelievably, like, Marie-Philippe Poulain is an absolute legend in this country. Can you think of an athlete off the top of your head that could be more clutch than what Marie-Philippe Poulain has done in big games? And ponder, like, just think for a second. I think the number is 871 days. That's how long Canada had to wait for just the opportunity after losing to Finland in the semifinals of the 2019 Women's World Championship. So not only does Marie-Philippe Poulain have to wait two to four years to come up clutch for Canada, but she comes up clutch every two to four years. Like it is near, I think, like if we ranked the most clutch performances repeatedly in sports history, does this not have to rank like three? And let's not forget, not only was this like single-handedly Sochi, game-tying goal, yeah. then late, late when it looked like the States were going to win it, then game-winning goal. Like, I don't know that I've seen a clutch performer like Marie-Philippe Poulain. Whenever you're watching overtime with the women's hockey and you're screaming, it's because Marie-Philippe Poulain just scored. And we're watching overtime a lot. Like, this like, is what? Yeah. Five like, of the last six that right. have gone to overtime. Seven of the last nine. Like, these are these are where were you moments. Like, I remember where I was in 2010. I remember where I was in 2014 when I saw the game. And I remember, I will remember, last night. Because you're watching these games and she's coming up clutch. So, yeah, to answer your question, I think just by the stats alone, 2010, 2014, 2020, it doesn't matter the year. She always comes up clutch. And she just, I love how she said, she knew the puck was in right away. Like <laughs> I, it was just so. She didn't have to say it. Sick. You like, can see what it. A shot. What a way to win a gold medal. Uh, just a, a beautiful play, a beautiful shot, and a character performance by this team. When, given the rivalry and the history of the rivalry, they were down two nothing in this game. First period again. Yeah. It's funny. We finished yesterday's show talking about that two nothing deficit against Finland yes. being their only adversity in this tournament, and lo and behold. 2-0 deficit again. The slow starts throughout the tournament. Crazy. And then uh, they yanked themselves out of that hole, head to overtime, 
And I'm sorry, but if I was on the American team, anytime 2-9 stepped on the ice, I would be like, where is our best checker? <laughs> right? Kendall Coyne Schofield, you cannot leave. Where are you at? Yeah. You can skate with anybody. You cannot leave 2-9 side at any time. I don't care if there's a breakaway. You stay with 2-9. And lo and behold, uh, Mary-Philippe Poulain scores the goal. I got a question for you. Yeah. Bigger legend. Mary-Philippe oh, Poulain I know. Oh. or Blair Turnbull returning to the fray after getting uh, her ankle like it was gross. It looked terrible when it happened. And then to come back on a stretcher for the celebrations with a smile on your face is near legendary status <laughs> yeah. in my mind. No, I'll, I'll say this. I would say Mary-Philippe Poulain's performance is legendary. Blair Turnbull is like a folk hero. Like this is going to go down in history. Like I, there were multiple people who tweeted this out, but I grabbed uh, Brent. I believe is the one who who I grabbed for this. You just knew that the picture of her coming out with the medal was going to end up on a Canadian Heritage minutes, and <laughs> and it did. And um, like there were tons of people that did it because it was just so perfect. Such a Canadian thing to do. Come yeah. out for the Sally like that on the stretcher. Uh, so yeah, she's a folk this, hero. I'm sorry, for me. Brent. I, I I didn't do the work myself, and I'm going to. Uh, throw stones at the person that did the work. You got to show the stretcher. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you can see a little, little, little bit of the stretcher. Kind of, sort of. Like that, that is probably a rush. It was probably a rush job uh, because it happened so quickly. But what yeah. a legend! What an unbelievable scene! And to think that all of that transpired with very few fans in the stands, uh, it's unbelievable. But I just love the fact that our Canadian women uh, continue to kick ass and take yep. names. And we saw it throughout the Olympics. And again, a tip of the cap to all the administrators, all the people who fought for representation in sports. This is the fruits of their labor. And I know that it was fought along the way. Well, why do we got to do this? What do we got to do? Now we're seeing why as the Canadian woman continue to get big-time results. And that one, I mean... Coming through in the clutch, just like the Canadian women's soccer team. Came through in the clutch, showed tip. Like If we were to, pers- to personify what Canadians respect about uh, being prototypically Canadian, there's like that blood and guts and climbing through and persevering through adversity like we do in winters and maybe through pandemics in winters, which is why I should have buckled up and maybe <laughs> on the top of the show said that I'm ready for the winter. But I just I think that our Canadian women have represented just so well, and I'm so proud. Yeah, and they're set up really well for the Olympics coming up in about six months. You know who's going to be in net. Uh, Emery Debian with an unbelievable performance. One three seven goals against average during the tournament. Sarah Fillier. Uh, a young breakout star yeah, in the but it tournament. Was, you know what's funny is I'm, I'm with you, and we were talking about the depth yesterday of this team, but when you think about this game, captain, right? Yep. And Jenner with the A had a goal and two assists. Like, it seemed like even though the depth carried them through this tournament, the, the, the leaders came through when it mattered the most, and, and that was very cool. By the way, um, after celebrating the tournament and the win, um, one of the things that popped out to me was the lack of competition outside of the United States, Canada, and maybe Finland. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that it does the game a service when you have a semifinal where you're out shooting your opponent 65 to 10. I mean, Canada, Germany, 52 to 3. I, I, I think that we can 
point to these things and say, how do we make all of this better? How do we make what we saw in the gold medal game also a quarterfinal, also a semifinal? Because that would do the game a service. And the only answer I repeatedly go back to is that we need yeah. a professional league. No question. Where you can groom players from every country on planet Earth so that when we get to these moments, it's not wait for the gold medal in Canada versus the United States. It's a depth of field that people want to watch the entire tournament. And I think that this next little while, think about it. Olympics are less than six months away. February, we, we're going to go Worlds, Olympics, and then there's another Worlds next year. Amazing. If you are starting a league right now, if you were Gary Bettman, say, I don't know, and thinking about getting into women's hockey, what better way to launch it than what we just saw last night between Canada and the United States? And now couple that with an Olympics, decent marketing tool, the Olympics. No doubt. Right? And then another Worlds. I think we're on the verge of a professional women's league that is sustainable and gives women an opportunity to actually make a living where they can sustain it as well. Uh, I think I said Anne-Marie Debian, obviously, and Renee Debian. Uh, we have General Jennifer Botterill coming up a little later. We and do. gold medal winner Aaron Ambrose coming up later in the show. So let's go. All right, awesome. We're going to talk to them. I'm uh, down. Okay, disappointing loss for the Blue Jays last night. 4-2 to the Orioles. Timmy, I know you're going to have something to say about this. Hinjin Ryu had a no-hitter going through five innings, but the O's got to him for three runs in the sixth, and that's all they would need. George Springer was taken out of the game in the seventh. After stopping abruptly at second base, I'm but he will play tonight. I'm going to abruptly stop you. Yeah. yeah. Here. That's right. twice, this by is, the way. This is interrupt uh, Wednesday here. <laughs> you, you can't lose to Clay Aiken. I'm sorry. Oh, American Idol. You cannot. Sorry. Clay, Keegan, Willie Aiken. Like, I don't care who the <laughs> hell it was pitching for the Baltimore Orioles, but when you come in, one and eight with a 7.26 ERA against Hyunjin Ryu. That's a game you have to win. Like there's a time to play and a time to win. And repeatedly this season, when it's been a time to win, this Jays team has not come through. Listen, I am the king of. He's in the majors, so he's got to be good. I'm not trying to disrespect Keegan Aiken, Clay Aiken or Willie Aiken. But that's a game that the Toronto Blue Jays, without a doubt, absolutely, positively have to win. Look no further than the Tampa Bay Rays, right? Like, the Tampa Bay Rays in the division are taking care of it. How many times on yesterday's show did you and I have the conversation where we said, if the Jays take care of business here, we might have something. All this COVID running through the Red Sox, the Yankees on a little bit of a swoon after that unbelievable run. There is an opportunity given the schedule against the A's, against the Orioles, if the Jays take care of business. And this is not to say that they can't learn from this. This is not to say that they won't get better from this. This is to say that they have to be better in these moments. And frankly, last night was evidence that they're not quite there yet because you can't lose that game and be shut down by Keegan Aiken. A hundred percent. You look at how that game's set up. Like, it's not realistic that the Jays are going to win every single game against the Orioles. I don't think. 
sprinkle in. The sprink- Rays did it. Yeah, the, the Rays did Ten it. Ten in a row. Sure. But I, specifically last night's game is a game you cannot lose. You have Hinjin Ryu on the mound. A guy who you poured four years and $80 million into. He's been really good against the Orioles coming into last night. 3-0 and on the year. Back with Danny Jansen catching him. Going up against a guy who came into the game 1-8. I mean, Ryu was like had a no-hitter going, right? He, he, he was fine last night. He wasn't the problem. But it's back to the offense again. Right. And I know Vladdy hit another home run, which is great. He equals uh, three home runs the last two days. Equals his total for the rest of the month. But for whatever reason, they cannot come up big in games where it matters. Like, last night's a game you have to have. You have everything working in your favor. Springer's back in the lineup. Ryu's on the mound. You're going against the guy who's got an 8 ERA coming into the game. You have to win the game, given where you are in the standings. And you just couldn't pull it off for whatever reason. I want to reiterate, though, that Springer will be playing tonight. He's going to DH. So it it appeared precautionary yesterday. He's back in the lineup, and you can see he didn't want to come out of the game yesterday. Uh, but uh, that is unanimous, at least on this set. Both of us believe that they should have won yesterday. They needed to win yesterday's yeah. game. And the funny thing is, is that maybe there's still an opportunity here. Like they're right? still four and a half back, right? Red Sox and Yankees lost last night. Well, let's talk about the Red Sox oh. for a little bit here. Because, listen, Nate Pearson has been called up. There have been some movements here. But I think that the Jays... There's still an opportunity here, unbelievably, uh, but I think that's because of what's going on with the Boston Red Sox. It's not good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've added a couple more to the equations. Xander Bogarts is pulled uh, from the lineup yesterday in the middle of the game. Uh, There is an outbreak there among the Red Sox, and though we don't know the numbers on this team, they seem to be one of the more under-vaccinated teams. Yes, it was below 85% of the time. I'm not sure if they're 100% still under 85% vaccinated. It could be over now. They're kind of keeping it a little bit hush-hush given the situation. But it, you hate to look at this as an opportunity for the Jays because it's, it's a difficult issue. Like It's a COVID-related issue. So you don't want to look at it through that lens. I don't think that like it's an opportunity for the Jays. But the reality is if the Red Sox are still dealing with COVID for the next but, little while. Well, hold on. It is. Hold on. Yeah. Why? Why? I was going to say, why can't you look? There's well, people in Boston that are irate that in the middle of a global pandemic with an easily accessible vaccine, that there are professional yes. players who are putting their playoff hopes in jeopardy because they don't want to take that easily accessible vaccine. Yeah. Just the point is that I, I think obviously you want everyone to to be healthy and to make the right decisions and take the vaccine and some of them haven't and obviously it's led to this situation so uh, but there, there is no question an opportunity because of what's happened here like they're, they, they're not playing good baseball and a lot of that is because of the COVID outbreak well I think you added on top they went 12 and 16 in August yes some of that happened before all of this COVID hit the Boston Red Sox but I mean, if you're if you're a fan of this team and this could have been easily avoided, I understand your frustration, frustration at best and maybe or at worst and maybe anger at best. Yes. I mean, hopefully this is not a situation that we continue to deal with throughout sports. It is. Why? why? <laughs> hopefully it isn't, but it's yeah. going to be. Yes. And unless everyone and even when people are vaccinated, as we're about, I think we're going to do the yes. Bill Belichick yes. next. Yeah. As we're about to find out. You can pass it on if you're vaccinated. That's the truth. But um, 
let's do the Belichick because <laughs> yes. I want to I be fair. It definitely, this. yes, it leads in. One day after the Patriots released Cam Newton, Bill Belichick met with the media this morning. Newton was away from the team for five days last week due to what the team called a COVID-19 protocol misunderstanding. But Belichick said Cam's vaccination status had nothing to do with the decision to release him. Did Cam's vaccination status have anything to do with him being released? No. No, I, I mean, look, you guys keep talking about that. And, you know, I would just point out that I don't know what the number is. I mean, you guys can look it up. You have the access to a lot of information. But the number of players and coaches and staff members that have, um, you know, been infected by COVID in this training camp who have been vaccinated is a pretty high number. So I wouldn't lose sight of that. You believe him that it had nothing to do yeah. with COVID? Yeah, I think Bill Belichick is not the guy. He just tells you what he's thinking at every moment, whether or not uh, he like you like it or not. Yes. He just gives you what he believes to be the straight goods. So, yeah, I believe Bill Belichick, and I believe that maybe Cam Newton um, wanted another opportunity somewhere else. And maybe that played into it. There's a lot of layers to that onion in New England. And I don't think that they wanted Cam Newton around Mac Jones thinking, if I throw an interception yes. here, there's an MVP waiting behind me, just waiting for the opportunity to come in and replace me. Yeah. Uh, that said, I will add that um, the New England Patriots also, um, despite the fact that pads and helmets reduce injuries uh, they no longer believe in the pads and helmets and they will go out uh, without helmets and pads because although there are still injuries with pads and helmets uh, they think that they are no longer useful so they will play without pads and helmets do you think do you think it's it is possible though being sarcastic i know that that belichick says it had nothing to do with covid but he also said that when cam was away from the team it presented an opportunity for Mac Jones. So two things could be true at once. They may not have cut Cam because of the COVID situation, but right. his absence from but, the team no, but opened he was, the door. He was referring, you and I talked about this yesterday, and I wanted to be fair because I brought up the COVID yeah, situation, yeah. and I wondered whether or not they cut him because of it. And he answered it, no. Yes. It's not because of, like, and people will twist and turn words in order to make it look like this was the case. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the case. Mac was just better. Not with Bill Belichick, yes. at least. Yes. But I think that moving forward, and as we saw Sham Strania tweeting out, like it looks as though uh, a lot of situations in NBA arenas are going to force all players to be vaccinated or not play in places like New York City against the Knicks and the Nets and uh, San Francisco with the Warriors, and we'll have to see with Toronto as well. This is the world we're living in now. Right. This is happening every every business is doing this, every league is doing this. And there's a reason why everyone's doing this is because every top doctor out there thinks that the way through this mm -hmm. is through vaccination. Yeah. All right, still to come, Iron Eagle helps us preview the AFC North as we continue to count down a kickoff in the National Football League. J.P. Morosi ahead of the Jays and Orioles, plus Canada's Aaron Ambrose, the day after winning gold. Up next, Jennifer Botterill joins us to relive the magic as Tim and Friends rolls on. Now he drives one to right. The third home run of the last two nights for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's back. Canada has won! 
delayed double steal attempt. Throw to the plate. He is Goslin draws the throw, and then Shohei was off to the races. One of the greatest rivalries in all of sport is about to be revived, renewed, and rekindled. There's another shot. They score. Guess who? Alex Carpenter again. 2-0 United States. on the rock. to overtime again. Here's Marie Philippe Poulet. She shoots. Oh, she says she scored. And Canada has won gold. A golden goal from Marie Philippe Poulet. Captain Canada has done it. Marie Philippe Poulet. Big time players, big time scorers. Know when to show up in big time games. She did. Nice call from uh, Tyler Blackstad, who just happens to be Rod Black, uh, first-round pick in Major League Baseball. I'm not sure a rivalry lives up to the billing more than Canada and the United States in women's hockey. It's almost unbelievable how they continue to put on a spectacular show. Last night was the fifth time in the last six gold medal game, seventh of the last nine in a major tournament between the two that needed extra time overtime to decide it and here to discuss is a friend who not only knows this rivalry pretty well but is a five-time world champ three-time olympic gold medalist and member of the nhl on sportsnet crew jen botterill hey welcome back jen thanks for doing this thanks it's always great to see you all right so like always great to see you too i just this game, this rivalry, five times in the last six we've seen overtime, seven of the last nine. I know you've seen this rivalry up close and personal, but how crazy is it that it's that close between the two? Well, it, I mean, it's so fun to, to follow. It is. It, it's it's a, an, an amazing rivalry. And when I have the chance to watch the games and to follow the team throughout this tournament, it, it brings back so many great memories for me. And you look at how close this rival rivalry has been and how close the games have been. As a player, you loved to play in these games against the U.S. You wanted to bring your best individually and certainly as a team. So watching that exciting finish uh, last night, them bringing home the gold, it brought back so many great memories and emotions for me and knowing how proud um, each of those athletes is and, and they've waited a long time to get this yes. opportunity. Uh, so it was just a special moment for those athletes and they were thrilled to share that with our country. Okay, so not many folks know what that's like. Like even NHL players have no idea what it's like to wait two to four years or in this case, 871 days for the Canadians and then you've got to play one game for all the Tostitos like how tough a situation is that you know it's tough but as an elite athlete you want to be prepared for any situation and this has been a unique couple of years for everyone 
But what really stood out for this Canadian team at the World Championships was how great the team dynamic was, that they weren't concerned about who was getting the points, who, uh, you know, who was making the nice play. It was every person, you know, taking pride in their role. And you look at some of the highlights, whether it was a deflection in front or some great communication off the face-off or, you know, strong play along the boards. These were players that were invested in overall success. Mm -hmm. And for them, you could see smiles on the, uh, uh, on their faces, on the bench, on the ice, communicating, giving each other nice taps on the back. And so you just saw such a, a genuine enthusiasm and an appreciation for these players for the opportunity to be playing in the tournament. And I really do believe that strong and that positive team dynamic um, helped this team to come through. I mean, they were down 2 nothing uh, in that final game, but they believed. And that's, you know, you heard comments from them throughout the tournament that they believed that they could be sex- successful. And uh, I mean, Marie-Philippe Poulain, who comes through yet uh, <laughs> yeah. again uh, for just an outstanding shot. We shouldn't be surprised <laughs> with her career. Uh, but just a credit, I, I really do believe a credit to the overall collective approach that this team had. See, uh, Jesse was saying that earlier in the show, and I pulled a Kanye West on. I'm going to let you finish, but hold <laughs> on a second here. Special players make special plays on special days. The assistant captain, Brianne Jenner, had one goal to assist in that game and then Mary Philippe Poulain special players make special plays on special day like I was trying to comprehend how clutch this resume is for Mary Mary Philippe Poulain can you can you put into words like how special this is to do what she's done and not just the gold medal winning goals but there's also a couple other goals in those games too Right. And, and and we can all try to describe it. I mean, I'll be honest, I was fortunate enough to have the chance to play uh, with Marie-Philippe Poulain in Vancouver. Uh, so to see her still doing this uh, 11 years later and you know, if you think about elite players, that's that's what they want to do in these big moments and those big situations uh, t- to be on the ice and make, you know, huge plays happen. I mean, to think about Marie-Philippe Poulain and how she's been able to do so, uh, so often. I mean, it's truly spectacular that she is already such a legend of the game. But what's really great about Marie-Philippe Poulain is that she's just a really great human being that she's an amazing teammate she's humble she's always excited for her teammates when they perform well so i think that's why this country and all of her teammates are so happy for her because in terms of how she performs on the ice is is one thing and something we all continue to be in awe of um but it's also that she's just an amazing person and a nice friend and an outstanding teammate uh so to see her come through for this team and for this country so often is is one of the the most incredible stories really in sport in our country okay when we got about three minutes left here aaron ambrose is going to join us next so we'll continue the conversation uh she of the gold medal winning team um three on three overtime for a world championship are you good with this i i'm good i thought that was very entertaining it was and I, I believe most of the players prefer that if it should happen to go uh, into a shootout. So I thought it was a chance for them to showcase their speed, their talent, their poise with the puck and the skill level. So, I mean, I don't think people wanted to miss many seconds of that overtime period. So it feels like this is the time to talk about a sustainable pro league. Like, 
Um, we're going rapid fire here. World's Olympics in less than six months and then another World's in less than a year. It feels like that could be a great marketing tool, a nice jump off if a professional league and someone wanted to get their act together. Is this the time where we could see or maybe look back at and say this was when we got the Sustainable Pro League? I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful, uh, as I think uh, many of the elite players that play on the international stage and that are a member of the PWHPA, that this is what they believe in. And to see this caliber of play and to see how many people have followed along with their story and to see the success at the World Championships and knowing that the Olympic Games are right around the corner. It feels as though the pieces are coming into place. And uh, even to hear my, my six-year-old daughter watch the game and, and she wants to rewind it to see them getting their medals again and to sing the anthem with them, um, it's just something really special. And that's what I've, I've said for many years is that not every girl has to, has to play the game, but now there's a choice and the choice for them to play at the grassroots level and I think many of us connected to the game are hopeful that they'll have the choice to play on a professional league uh, down the road. If they can strive towards that or dream about that one day. And I firmly believe that all of these athletes in the game uh, deserve that. That they deserve the chance to play in a sustainable professional league and to have the support um, and the corporate support and the sponsors to make this a reality. And, and I think the players are just continuing to prove uh, in the on-ice product. So I'm hopeful that over the course of the next year, we'll continue to say, see, see some, some huge strides. Yeah, I hope so, too. I mean, I was watching CWHL hockey and watching a power play in Montreal that featured Aaron Ambrose, who's going to come up on the show, Melody Daou, MPP, Hillary Knight on the same team. I mean, that at some level has to work for people who enjoyed what they saw last night and apparently close to a million people uh, enjoyed what they saw last night. Uh, Jen, always great catching up with you. I know you got some uh, off time here with the NHL schedule kind of calming down a bit. Please enjoy it, but thank you for taking the time and doing this with us. Well, thanks for the great discussion, and uh, it's always fun to chat about Canada's success. Thank you. <laughs> Unbelievable. Still always a proud member of the Canadian national <laughs> team, Jen Botterill. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Uh, there is Jen Botterill. And I was, I was reading this story, Jesse, about Colombian soccer, and they had... They ended up trying to further the women's game. And what they did was they matched a team for every men's, um, men's team and said, if you care about the crest on the front of that jersey, then care for the woman's side as well. And they just matched it up. Mm-hmm. Men's team, women's team. And you wonder if Gary Bettman doesn't watch last night, doesn't think about that. And it doesn't have to be all teams to start. But why can't there be an affiliated women's team to every men's team? Over 800,000 Canadians watched on average last night's yeah. game. You see the interest level that that generates, especially online too. Twitter was going nuts last night, obviously. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not just with hockey. We saw it with the soccer too. Like, why does it only have to be these global Two events? Four years, yeah. Yeah, why does it always have to be the global events that sort of manufactures this emotion and this intensity? Like, why can't we experience that all the time with women's sports yeah i, I, I about, don't know i don't know the answer what about leafs tabs on the women's side yeah see it just throwing it out there for you mr batman <laughs> if you want to give me like a little commissioner copyright, for a day a little, tim McAuliffe. Little trademark i'm okay tm trademark <laughs> tim McAuliffe. We're good coming up a day after winning gold and being named to the media all-star team at the world's 
Team Canada's Aaron Ambrose will join me to discuss Canada's Golden Knight. As Tim and Friends continues on Sportsnet. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. One day after another unbelievable battle and one of the greatest rivalries in sports, we are happy to be joined by a member of the gold medal winning team. Aaron Ambrose joins us now. Aaron, thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank you, Tim. I'm pretty excited to be here. Well, I can still see the smile on your face. Like, where are you on the high of winning? Like, still jacked, exhausted, beyond exhausted, which for me turns into giddy and kind of stupid drunk. Like, where are you on the spectrum of having just captured gold? Uh, pretty giddy still. I'm um, going to get going again soon. Uh, just moved in with Nursey here, so uh, I think we're getting a little silly goofy pretty soon so it's uh, it's a lot of fun so much excitement and just honestly what a feeling uh, I, I'm Canada. Canada was almost sharing with you. By the way, say hi to Nursey for us. Um, but 871 days since settling for bronze in Finland, given the cancellations, the CWHL shutdown, like it must have felt like an eternity just to get the opportunity to play this game. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. Like we kept saying, we weren't really gonna believe that it was happening until the first world's game happened. And for us, like just getting the tournament underway was such a big start. And then obviously to cap it all off with a win is unbelievable. And I honestly, I don't even have words half the time. Like my voice is gone. Like it's just been unbelievable. And I'm just so excited. Do you think the weight made it sweeter? I would say so. Um, Like Pooh said, it has been a long, long, long time. Um, I mean, obviously since 2012 for world championship and then, um, 2014 since we won. So it's been a long time since we were able to obviously win a a gold medal and uh, it tastes pretty good. (laughs) What stands out to you? Like we're showing the highlights here and I got a little smile on my face. I can tell from the, from the moment that we, we got online with you here, you've had a smile on your face, like with some time to let it marinate. And I know you've probably been celebrating ever since, but what now stands out to you the most about the game and how you ended up winning that goal? Um, honestly, what it's just that we never had a doubt. Um, like being down to nothing, we came in after the first period and it was like, okay, like we were happy with our first. Like, obviously, you don't want to be down by two, but um, we thought we played well. We really didn't give them a lot of opportunity. And I, I just feel like it was just the resiliency of the group like we knew we were going to get it um and even going in overtime like obviously when you have marie philippe glenn like you got a pretty darn good chance to win but we just had so much confidence going in overtime like we knew we were going to win um and i just it was such a special group and the best part is that we're moving forward for the next six months to going towards Beijing. yeah that's what's crazy like we're going rapid fire here but when when, I sh- when I'm showing the Mary-Philippe Poulain goal, did, did you know it went in? I was pretty sure based on her reaction. I couldn't see, obviously, but um, I was pretty sure based on her reaction. But then uh, Midge on the bench, she was like, no, no, we got to go back to work. And then as soon as the buzzer happened, it was like, we knew. Yeah, Mary-Philippe Poulain coming off the bench and eating it for a second just in the excitement is like just pure joy. Uh, she knew all along. So... So Mary Philippe Poulain gave the show one of its most 
viral moments when she scored in Sochi while we were trying to host a, a sports show knowing damn well the entire country was watching something completely different. Not our sports show, but what we were watching. And she just keeps doing it. And I have this saying that I've used since I had hair, which is special players make special plays on special days. How do you explain it? Can you explain how she keeps coming up with those golden goals? That, first of all, that's one of my favorite videos is <laughs> you guys watching that um, goal. But um, who is, I mean, I think the best to ever do it. Um, she always shows up. Um, and even when she doesn't score the goals in big games, which is very rare that that doesn't happen, she does the little things. Um, she blocks shots all the time and just her presence in the dressing room. Um, you, you follow like whatever she says you're going to do. And she doesn't speak a lot in the room. She's not like a loud and boisterous leader, but um, whatever direction she's going, we're following. It's funny because after the game where she blocked a shot with basically her face and or throat, <laughs> I was sitting here on this desk and I was like, do you have to save poo from herself like does she need to be out there killing a penalty and doing what she did in that moment I believe a five nothing game going down to block a shot and in the back of my mind as I'm being the you know the on-air hot takey guy I'm thinking like the rest of the team must have absolutely bleeping loved it yeah well I mean you love that from your captain right and I think that that kind of showed like um it, it just it's so contagious, um, and I think that we did such a great job through the whole tournament just kind of playing stingy defense, and um, when your leader's blocking shots like that, everybody else is going to follow, and um, obviously you never like to see that, and it was a scary, scary thing, but um, we knew as soon as um, we got in the dressing room and her equipment was in there still, um, so that's where I was kind of like, okay, obviously she was hurt, and she had to go to the hospital, but it was like, okay, she had the ability to take off her equipment. It wasn't like, let's get her out of here ASAP. So um, just so happy for her because there's nobody who works harder than Marie Philippe Lynn. And um, she deserves every single goal and moment that she has. And um, I, I'm just so happy for her and obviously this group. I asked Jen Botterell this and curious what you think. Do, do you believe this stretch that we're going to go on a little sprint here where we go Worlds, Olympics, Worlds of best on best? Uh, the Worlds lives up to the billing. I mean, I don't know if you get a better finish than what we just had. Olympics coming up. Could this be the jumping off point for a sustainable pro league for the women's game? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's no better kickstart. Um, I, I just think that it's coming. Uh, we all know that it's coming. As female hockey players, we know that the time is right around the corner, and um, we continue to just put our product out on the ice and be so proud of it. Um, whether it was the C uh, well, the CW before it folded, um, the PWHPA showcase, like, and now Worlds, like, it's just going to continue to grow. There's going to be great rivalry games this year against US, and um, I mean, everybody knows that when it's on, people tune in. Um, so it's just a matter of time, and uh, we know that once we get there, it's going to be worth the wait. Yeah, that has been my argument all along. Like, when we see best on best, people tune in. And the numbers are there. There's no argument that needs to be made. And once again, almost a million Canadians tune in for last night's game. Unbelievable. Before I let you go, 
Uh, I believe you're already a star. You've already gone viral. Jesse Rubinoff, is this correct? Yeah, uh, Aaron, I think your roommate's spying on you. Sarah Nurse just tweeting this out basically a minute ago. I get a front row seat for Tim and Friends right now with at Ambrose13. There you go. So that's what your roommate's doing to you right now. Feels like we're in the Matrix right now. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> How did you keep your calm during yeah. all that? I would have been distracted. I, I almost lost my train of thought. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's awesome. Listen, uh, I want you guys to enjoy this as much as you possibly can. You deserve it. Love the smile on your face. Uh, congratulations once again, and thanks for jumping on with us. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Literally, anytime. There is Aaron Ambrose of the Canadian national team powering through <laughs> despite being distracted by Sarah Nurse as we entered the Matrix there. That was kind of weird. So, right? Yeah, that was very weird. To have video of someone on our show while they were yeah, on our show. Yeah, I don't know. That's, like, that's so, like, beyond the fourth wall. Like, I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that yeah, is either. But write us cool. in. T- tweet at us if you know what that is. It's <laughs> uh, awesome. On the other side, we'll get you caught up to date with Canadians at the U.S. Open. Plus, Jay's Orioles set for the rubber of a three-game series at the Rogers Center. John Paul Morosi stops by next right here on Tim and Friends. And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much. Sheep Talk's back here. Hour number two on Tim and Friends. Still to come, Ian Eagle joins us to preview the AFC North with the NFL kickoff eight days away. Oof. Plus, John Paul Morosi in a few minutes as we talk all things baseball. And there is a lot going on around the league. We'll start with the Jays, but the Red Sox, Yankees, tons to talk about. Jays and Orioles coming up on Sportsnet, Blue Jays Central, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Sportsnet, we'll continue on Sportsnet 360. As for those Jays, good news, George Springer will be back in the lineup and DHing after being pulled late in last night's loss when he came up limping a wee bit around second base. Steven Matz will start for the Jays against Matt Harvey. 14 losses and a 6.18 ERA is what Harvey brings to the table. But then again, your boy Clay Aiken dominated the Jays yesterday. Sorry, Keith. Uh, here's the lineup. Springer's back in that leadoff spot, followed by Simeon, Vladdy Bichette, Teoscar, who will be in center field tonight for the first time this season. Alejandro Kirk bats sixth and catches Mats. Corey Dickerson is in right, batting seventh. Lourdes Gurriel and Brevek, Brevek Valera is at third, batting. So a bit of a different lineup today. I'm seeing this for the first time with you, but a bit of a different lineup today for the Jays. Here's Charlie Montoya with the latest on Springer. He's good to go. Uh, after the game, he came into my office and said, I'm ready to go. So he's in the lineup. He's wearing a different brace today, but the one thing about him, because he's got a, such a strong swing, he, sometimes it flares up, he feels it in his knee, and then you might see him not running uh, full speed, but he, he's fine. Like, he cannot get any worse from what I hear from the medical staff. So, but again, just so that we have to be careful, and, and, and then after the game, he said, okay, I'm ready to go. So, so we shouldn't think too much if he grimaces or we, something that he just deals with? He just, he's going to have to, yeah, he's going to have to deal with it. And he said he's fine dealing with it. That's a cool Charlie Montoya look, is it not? That does not look like a guy who lost to a 40-win team last night. Ooh. 
He's positive you, as ever. You want that uh, that positivity to go away a little bit after a loss to a 41 team? Yeah, I, I think right. so. Like a little, little more sense of urgency, I think. But the glasses denote I mean, a I'm lack not, of sense of urgency. Yeah, but I, well, he's just <laughs> yeah, a little bit. He's a cool. He's cool as a cucumber. Look at that. Smiling Swag. too much for Jesse Rubinoff, and I will say. Many Jays fans. And for those who are thinking that we are giving him some sort of pass or that I'm giving him some sort of pass, I'm not. I was very critical of them right off the top of yes. the show. Those are games you have to win. Nate Pearson, Brian Baker also called up to the Jays as the September call-ups and they are active tonight. Again, J.P. Morosi coming up in a couple of minutes with more on the Jays and the rest of Major League Baseball to hockey. And the Islanders seemingly have locked up four players' long-term deal. Kyle Palmieri, four years, average annual value, $5 million. Anthony Beauvillier, three years and 4.15 per. Ilya Sorokin signs a three-year, $4 million per. And Casey Sezikis, six years, $2.5 million AAV. Palmieri, Sezikis, UFAs, Beauvillier, Sorokin, RFAs also... The Athletics' Mike Russo, or Michael Russo, is reporting that the Isles are close to signing Zach Parise. It just needs to be sent in to the league office. Blues, meanwhile, signed defenseman Colton Pareko. Eight-year extension worth $52 million. AAV, $6.5 million for Pareko, who I like a lot. Played all six seasons with St. Louis. Has averaged over 21 minutes of ice time each of the last five seasons so football and the saints will play their home opener in jacksonville in the aftermath of hurricane ida saints season opener against the packers is the only game to be moved so far it's unclear when they will make uh, when they may return to play at their home in new orleans got a good and since you understood i was distracted by jesse who was, is there a fly over there? Uh, there was something flying around. I didn't know whether it was <laughs> dust it or a fly. So I, I don't mean to call like... you out, but I was just like, what, what's going on over there? Someone attacking you? I was battling. I was battling. I don't <laughs> was... know what it was. I still don't know what it was. We'll see if it comes back. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll usher it out of the studio. Yes, okay. Sebi. Come on, you got to help me out, okay? You see me struggling like that. You know how to usher hey, flies out of a studio, Sebi? <laughs> uh, great night of action for the Canadians at the U.S. Open last night. Vasek Pospisil coming back from two sets down to beat Italian Fabio Fanini in uh, five sets. While 2019 champ six-seeded Bianca Andreescu got by three sets battling, showing some real toughness. Meantime, today, two more Canadians in action. Let's start with Montreal's Philippe Auger, Felix Auger-Aliassime taking on Bernabe Zapata Morales. Easy. Two names that are easy. Felix Auger-Aliassime, Bernabe Zapata Morales. Got it good and since you understood. Auger-Aliassime early, first set 7-6 after the overhead volley. Then Auger-Aliassime up 5-3. Zapata Morales finds the net. Felix takes the set 6-3. Third set tied at 2. Listen, this is getting real nice for the Canadians. That's one of 12 aces in the match. The Spaniard is frustrated. Aliasim moving on, reaching the third round for the second straight year, winning 7-6-6-3, 6-2. Also from Montreal, Leila Annie Fernandez taking on Kea Canepi. First set, Fernandez up 4-3. Ernest Walker. 
executing the backhand lob over Kanepi for the break point. Went on to take the first set 6-5. Nice hands. Second set, Fernandez down 5-4. Slips on the run, but Kanepi hits it long. So Fernandez gets the point, ties it at 5. Match point, Fernandez up 6-5. Kanepi again, another somewhat forced error. Fernandez advances, winning in straight sets 7-5, 7-5. Tough draw, though. Naomi Osaka in the third round. But that's quality from Lely and Fernandez. Canadians humming along. Cruising. Uh, speaking of humming along, Cristiano Ronaldo being given his trophy for being the top goal scorer at Euro 2020. And Ireland was up 1-0 when Ronaldo scored his 110th career international goal, breaking the all-time record for men's soccer. Match tied at one, and the 36-year-old was not done there. This is crazy because Ronaldo missed a penalty that would have broken Ali Dai's all-time record. And everyone thought, wow, what a disappointment. Ireland's going to go on to win this 1-0. Instead, he scores two after the missed penalty. And Portugal, full three points, courtesy of Cristiano Ronaldo. Somewhere Sid Sixero is smiling. I think we have to leave that alone for our next guest. Uh, because he is still celebrating Italy's win in that Euro 2020. Joining us now is John Paul Morosi, a fan of all sports. And Morosi, like, do you need to jump in on the Ronaldo 111 goals now in international play? Or shall we leave that till the end after our baseball talk? Well, Tim and Jesse, uh, good evening. I was actually here to talk about Alfonso Davies and the Canadian men's nice. beginning a World Cup qualifying in their own right. That's, I'm here to talk about Alfonso Davies, the brilliant left back, perhaps the best left back in the world. He wins the treble with Bayern Munich and now has his sights set on the World Cup with Team Canada. How about that? Uh, that, that is on its way tomorrow and a lot of Canadians excited about that. Uh, listen, the Jays... I wanted to say, I wanted to make the easy segue and go a lot of Canadians excited about the Jays, but last night was a real gut shot to a lot of Jays fans, especially given what's going on with the Boston Red Sox. It just felt like a game they had to win against Keegan Aiken and his 1-8 and record coming in. Uh, to me, those are games that good teams win. Am I being too harsh? No, Tim, you are exactly right. And really, you can reflect back on the last series. I'm guessing that you guys can't hear him either. Because yeah, I can't I, hear him. John, I, don't, I, I know I'm right. talking over you right now, but we had, can't. Had the Jays. Oh, there we go. We got you. We lost you there for okay, a second. How about now? Can, can we start very over good. from the very top? All Was right. I being too harsh on the Jays? <laughs> no, you weren't. And and here's how, how I look at the last several weeks for the Blue Jays. They, of course, they lost those two games against the Nationals in D.C. They lost a very winnable game against the Tigers and really a, a winnable series against the Tigers in Toronto, a game they probably should have won even last Friday here in Detroit, and, the, and then again last night. If they win that game last night, even with all those failings I mentioned, yeah. they're just two games back of Boston in the loss column if they win that game last night. 
That, to me, is the mark of a team that's going to fall just short and maybe even further back than just short because you look at what's ahead for the Blue Jays. A tough weekend series against Oakland, a series against the Yankees, two series against Tampa in the month of September alone. The road gets harder for them, not easier, which is why you have to bank wins against the teams that you should beat. And if the Jays fall short, and I believe candidly that they will fall short, it's going to be because of the way they did not win games against the Washington Nationals, the Baltimore Orioles, and yes, in our state here, the Detroit Tigers. Yeah, and that's the way it breaks down because I am the king of, and people even get frustrated with me north of the board, I'm the king of in 162, you're going to have your ups and your downs. you got to take the long view. But as you move along those 162, you give yourself leeway or you take it away. And what the Jays did over the last little while, as you properly pointed out, they took away all of their runway. And now you force yourself to win every game against the Orioles. And when you don't do that, you give it away. And look, you don't have to look further than the Tampa Bay Rays. They, what are they, 18-1 in their last 19 in the division, including 10 straight against the Orioles? I mean, if you put these two teams on paper, I think a lot of people would say that the Jays have a better team. You have to take care of business. It's a great point. And a couple things right there, Tim, and you, you laid it out there perfectly. The Jays are playing in a division this year where there is zero margin for error. Even as badly as the Red Sox have struggled of late, they're still holding on to a playoff spot. And the New York Yankees have the best record or close to it in the major leagues since the trade deadline. And as you mentioned, the Rays are the hottest team out there. So when you stack up all this competition, you have to be, if not perfect, then at least very consistent. And we know this about the Jays. They're talented they are inconsistent. And from talking to some of the Jays people who were in Detroit over the weekend about their season, as, as one person observed to me, we just haven't lined up our team. We have not lined up our team where starting rotation, bullpen, and lineup have all been in sync together. We've even seen it the last week or so. The rotation, the pitching overall has been pretty good, yeah. but they've lost some low-scoring games against the Tigers and the Orioles. And when you're going up against a team that you point out, Tim, is so good in Tampa right now, their lineup might be the best lineup not on paper, but the run scoring for Tampa has been extraordinary. And what I think is going to be so interesting about Tampa, guys, in the playoffs is this. If you paired up what the Rays lineup is now with last year's pitching staff, they probably beat the Dodgers. But remember this, in a six-game World Series, the only pitcher who started a game in that World Series who is still part of the rotation right now is Ryan Yarborough. Charlie Morton is gone. Yeah. Blake Snell is gone. Tyler Glasnow is injured. So the names like Shane McClanahan yeah. and Luis Patino, while they're not famous, they're going to be the key guys starting games for the Rays in the postseason. It's, it's unbelievable what they're able to accomplish year after year. Do you have any idea how they do it? That's a great question, Tim. I think you could probably go into every front office in baseball. They ask themselves a variation of that yes. exact question. Yeah. Because you think about all the star power they've lost just since the last World Series, as, as I was mentioning there. I, to me, they always know exactly what they're looking for. They've got a great pitching coach in Kyle Steiner, an excellent manager in Kevin Cash. They understand how to get the most out of their personnel. Also, some very, very good pro scouting. A great scout by the name of Bobby Heck. Tremendous at what he does. Kevin Eibach, same thing. Their front office top to bottom. They find the place 
players who are overlooked elsewhere. Mike Zanino, someone who was overlooked elsewhere, they bring him in. He becomes an all-star. Randy Arozarena, the star of last year's postseason, someone who was languishing on the bench with the Cardinals. They found him. They bring him in. They have the exact right approach in terms of identifying talent that is not being maximized elsewhere, bringing them into the system, and often, guys, simplifying what they do getting the best out of them, and certainly it helps when you call up a top prospect like Wander Franco. They just they get it in every phase of the game. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the team that the Jays are trying to chase down, among others, I guess, is the Boston Red Sox. And it seems like they are not only mired in a tough August, or that's done, but this COVID situation, how, how deep does it run in Boston right now? Well, Tim, it's a great question. Obviously, it's a, it's a developing situation in many ways. Just today, Xander Bogart's placed on the COVID-related IL, and it's now several players who are on the COVID-related IL. Uh, Haim Bloom, their president of baseball operations, spoke earlier today. The expectation is they will still obviously play today's game as scheduled. That's going to happen uh, still today. But it, it is a very, very concerning situation, especially this late in the season. It's a reminder to all of us, whether we're in Canada or the States, about the need to maintain a lot of precautions in the midst of the Delta variant where perhaps on at least a team-by-team basis, depending on what the vaccination percentages are in a given team, you maybe have to reinstitute some of the, the masking protocols indoors, other protocols that existed with relation to distancing that were in place last year. Perhaps you should revisit them now because, as we know, a number of players across the major leagues are vaccinated and yet still testing positive because of the Delta variant and the way that it, it, it evades, in some cases, the vaccine. So it's obviously a very sobering situation and one that I know MLB is watching closely, the Players Union as well. But to your point, the Boston Red Sox have to continually field a competitive team where obviously there's a lot of concern in that clubhouse about who might test positive next and what it means for everyone as, who's a part of that organization. Uh, speaking of being competitive, a lot of people expected the New York Mets to be competitive this year. It has been a tumultuous year, to say the least. They add a couple more things to the fire today. Like, what do you make of what's going on in New York? Very concerning. And obviously, a lot of Mets fans thought that with Steve Cohen coming in, that perhaps it was going to be a new era of stability uh, with the Mets. They've been a team that's always had a fair amount of controversy over the years. And the idea was that with Steve Cohen coming in and Sandy Alderson coming back, that there would be a little greater equanimity for this franchise. But clearly, that has not happened at all. There was the issue with the fans, obviously the report about uh, their GM, acting GM, Zach Scott, uh, being arrested on a, on a DUI here in, in, in the U.S. Uh, in the last several days. It really has reached a catastrophic level for this team. And, and we know, when you think about the flagship franchises in the big cities across North America when it comes to sports, baseball is better when there is a high-level, high-achieving National League franchise in New York City. You think about the heritage of the Dodgers and the Giants in New York and then the Mets. This is important to baseball, to the way the game grows, and you need this organization to be a paragon of what your sport represents. Unfortunately, they have been anything but so many distractions, and at the core of it here, guys, is they just have not been consistent enough on the field. They should be able to win a division when the Braves struggled and were below 500 for so long in the season. They spoiled that opportunity. They have played abysmally here of late. And now you have the issue with the fans, the apology. But still, 
Francisco Lindor, Tim, he's got a $341 million contract yeah. and a batting average in the low 200s. The mathematics there is simply not working out right now for the New York Mets. Uh, not at all. Uh, one of the reasons why we love having John Paul Morosi on this show is he, like us, is a fan of every sport. And if you followed us for any sort of time, you know that he's been on to talk hockey with us. He's talked plenty of soccer with us. And we decided that we would give John Paul Morosi at the end of our baseball talk one minute of Morosi where you can go anywhere you want. So a new segment, Morosi's Minute. Is it Uno Minuto di Morosi or is it Morosi's Minute? You decide, my friend. <laughs> Grazie mille, mio caro amico. Okay, here we go. First of all, I have to say congratulations to the Canadian women's hockey team, all of Canada. What a great overtime classic that was. The headline last night, Marie-Philippe Poulin scores the golden goal. Well, that was just copied and pasted from Vancouver in 2010, Sochi 2014, and then, of course, last night as well. So congratulations there. Also to the Canadian women's soccer team, gold in the Olympics. But now it has to be the turn of the U.S. men's soccer team to get this country back in the World Cup. Such a disappointing qualifying cycle last time around. And yes, the huge matchup coming up, Nashville, Tennessee, Sunday, the U.S. and Canada. I can't wait to see Alfonso Davies on the same field there as the great U.S. young talent. You love what you're seeing from the young American soccer talent, Gio Reyna, Christian Pulisic, Weston McKenney, so much talent there. We just added Ricardo Pepe, who commits to the U.S. He could have played for Mexico. Ricardo Pepe, born in El Paso, right near the border, chooses the U.S. I have not been this excited about the U.S. men's soccer team in years and years. Here we go, my friends. I am ready. Io sono pronto. Io sono pronto. We got the European Championship for the Italians. World Cup now for the Americans. We'll see. Uh, I will take an octagon final three of Canada, Mexico, and the United States. That is acceptable. The Morosi minute is over. Yes. Thank you very much. Muchas gracias, mi amigo. De nada. Piacere mio. A la próxima. We speak multiple languages together, Morosi and I. All right, time for a break. We'll get to the park. We'll check in with Dan and Pat before sending you to Blue Jay Central. It's amazing. Like, I can speak three words of a lot of languages. He can actually converse in Italian, English, Spanish. It's unbelievable. How does he know everything? When does he sleep? Harvard. This is Tim and Friends. Minutes away from Blue Jay Central and Sportsnet. Jamie and Joe got you. Jay's trying to bounce back from painful loss to the Orioles last night. With more on tonight's game, let's send it to the broadcast booth. Dan Schulman, Pat Tabler. Gentlemen. Tim, it's September the 1st, and that means the rosters have expanded. Now, that just means two extra players from 26 to 28. They are both pitchers, and one of them, of course, Tabby, is very familiar to Blue Jay fans in Nate Pearson. Yeah, the former first-round draft pick is going to pitch out of the bullpen here in the month of September. Everybody knows him because he was a starter. First thing you know, he's healthy. He told me today, I finally feel healthy. I'm going to throw all of my pitches. Of course, that's the number one, the fastball, 100 miles an hour, but he's going to use his slide his curveball in his changeup. I think this could work out really well for him. 
they can take care and guard him and let him pitch when they need him in that back end of the bullpen, a, a big power arm that could help the Blue Jays. He pitched last night, so don't know if he would be available tonight if needed. Brian Baker is the other pitcher, a 26-year-old. Whenever he gets into his first game, it'll be his major league debut. And like Nate Pearson, a big guy. Both of them are six foot six, and they come right after you. He closed some games down in Buffalo. He's got the big arm, 97-mile-an-hour fastball, a slider. He also has a good changeup, and he's not afraid to use that changeup against right-handed batters. Both of these guys, two power arms to the back end of that bullpen could help the Blue Jays in the month of September as they try to get into the playoffs. Big guys, big fastballs, the two additions to the roster for September. Tim, back to you. Seems to be a trend in Major League Baseball, gentlemen. Big arms, big fastballs. Everyone wants to see that velo. Everyone wants to see that velocity. It seems as though to me, Jesse, and I understand why there is a lot of ink being spilt, a lot of conversations surrounding Nate Pearson being brought up to the team because Jays fans saw flashes of absolute brilliance from the kid. He's been their top prospect for a while. But to me, it seems like a lot of hype and a lot of expectation surrounding a guy who is 1-3 with a 440 ERA in Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, the story for Nate Pearson has been his inability to stay healthy, and that has derailed definitely this season because it started with a groin injury in spring training. He had one start. It didn't go well, and then he's been in the minor leagues ever since. But I think he's got a real opportunity here because we know and we've talked about all the time about the Blue Jays' bullpen struggles. But there's a real opportunity here for Nate Pearson to kind of carve out a role. Now, I don't know if he's going to be a starter or a reliever moving forward, but he could find himself in some real high-leverage situations moving forward here down the stretch because the Jays have... You hope. You, you hope if, if he can stay healthy and he can perform. Right. But that's what you're looking for because he is... Still considered the Jays' top prospect. He throws triple digits. It's exactly what you want in the bullpen, right? That's what you were looking for. You want the velo, like you said. So if he can stay healthy and perform, I think there could be something to this role for him moving forward. It just seems like a lot of like several big ifs, or how about just two big ifs? One, if he can stay healthy. Yeah. And you, you hope for the best, obviously. Yes. But two, um, he struggled with his control a little bit in the minors. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why it took so long for him to come back, along with the injuries, was the ability to find his control. And I will mention this. In the six games that he got into in August, he was no record, 0-0, with a 3 ERA. And Dan mentioned that he pitched last night. He pitched one inning last night, struck out the side uh, against Scranton. Yeah. So... It seems as though maybe he has found that control. And if he has, then he can be that guy. But those Jays fans with expectations of seeing the guy that they saw for flashes Definitely. may be misplaced. Though if he is healthy, if he does have his control, and if he is um, you know, available and ready, he could be that high level. Yeah, he didn't string a ton together, but it's just... The roster's expanded, so the opportunity was there, and we'll see how he deals with it. Uh, he's got the confidence. We know that, and we also know that he has the talent. Can we put it all together like many of the Jays' Yes, questions? indeed. All right, time to send you to Blue Jays Central on Sportsnet. We'll see if Jamie and Joe have a different opinion on that. They'll take you to first pitch. As for us, we continue on Sportsnet 360. NFL Divisional Previews, AFC North, Iron Eagle, Next, is this the best division in football? We will discuss on Tim and Friends as it continues on Sports Century 60.
60 seconds back at you. We continue our journey previewing the NFL season with perhaps the best division in the NFL. It's the AFC North, which featured one of the best stories in football last year, the Cleveland Browns. That's right, the Cleveland Browns. They surprised many with an 11-5 season. They won a thrilling shootout with their bitter rivals on wildcard weekend. Then they put the Chiefs on the ropes before losing in dramatic fashion. All this from a team that finished third in the division last year. Like I said, might be the best division in football. With more, here's Anthony Caminetti. The AFC North is once again loaded. Three playoff teams in 2020, and once again, they should all be a threat to make some noise this season. The Ravens ended last year on a sour note. Just three points scored in a playoff game. That's not good. Baltimore added receivers Sammy Watkins and first-round rookie Rashad Bateman, hoping to unlock this passing attack, but will some preseason injuries derail that plan? The Steelers go as far as Ben Roethlisberger's arm takes them. If there's still gas left in that tank, they should be a lock for double-digit wins. But if not, we might find this team in unfamiliar territory. Meanwhile, Joe Burrow is back, and he's bringing a friend. Cincinnati Bengals select Jamar Chase, wide receiver, LSU. The Bengals drafted Jamar Chase to reunite the LSU duo. Can this offense reach elite status in 2021? Then there's the Browns, once the butt of all jokes, but no one should be laughing anymore. They're back after an 11-win season, still very talented and hungry after the way their 2020 season ended. Running, he's gonna dive for it! And the Chiefs are heading to the AFC Championship game. I mean, that is impossible. I've never seen it. The Browns' great turnaround season has come to a close. Don't sleep on this division. One of them just might be there in the very end. How could you forget Chad Henney's heroics for the <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs side? Time now to discuss what might be the best division in football with a man who will call the Steelers game in week one up close and personal with Bill's Mafia as they take on Buffalo in Buffalo. It is Ian Eagle who joins us now. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, great to be with you again, Tim. And you know what? That statement you made at first, I thought, really? Is, is that just hyperbole? <laughs> If you look at the divisions around the NFL and the balance of power in the league, I would say the AFC North, pound for pound, is the best division in football, yes. Yeah, I think there's some contenders. I think the NFC West is right there. And by the end of the year, I would suggest to you that the AFC East might be there as well, depending on the performance of some young quarterbacks. And let's start with the old quarterback. Because a lot of people feel like the Pittsburgh Steelers' performance this year will be on the shoulders of Ben Roethlisberger. How do you see the Steelers' season? It's hard to see them not taking a step back. The offensive line is my concern, and I know we don't want to start with negatives. You'd rather start with the positive. But for me and Pittsburgh, that's been the staple. They've always been able to protect Ben and provide juice in the running game. And now you have legitimate questions on that offensive line. Ben is on the precipice of turning 40 years old, 19 years in the league. He's a Hall of Famer. He's done it all. He has nothing to prove. But he still acts as if there's a chip on his shoulder. It fuels him, the doubters. So I think Ben will be fine. I think their offense will be okay. And then defensively, they still have a bunch of game changers. So 
the step back might be modest, but still a legitimate playoff hopeful in the AFC. What do you make of what the Baltimore Ravens have done? Because a lot of people want to question their quarterback. A lot of people want to question if they are legitimate contenders. And it seems as though every year those questions are answered. Yeah, the only problem, Tim, as we know, the ultimate questions will come in the postseason for Lamar. And those questions are still there. They haven't gone away yet because time and time again, we've not seen the Ravens come through in the big moment. And we're still going to be asking that question. No matter what they do in the regular season, come January, that'll be the same question once again. Uh, Ravens, the Dobbins injury is a little bit concerning. Gus Edwards can step in. I think they'll do it with a consortium at running back defensively they're going to be creative Uh, they'll still make things happen the questions on Lamar are more based on opponent defensive coordinators and whether or not they finally figure out ways to stop him we've been saying it for two years his numbers are through the roof he was still terrific last season although not MVP level still very good Uh, I I think Baltimore, this is a make or break year in many ways based on their philosophy and their philosophy might change if things don't go exactly the way as planned. All right, let's get to the Browns. And it seems as though there's a lot of Browns fans up here north of the border, given the way uh, the U.S. television fed us early uh, with the Buffalo Bills. A lot of people just saw the Cleveland Browns. Uh, And it's it's been a tough existence, to say the least, for Browns fans. Is Baker Mayfield good enough to take them to the next level? It's the $140 million question. Literally, that's the question they have to answer as to whether or not they want to give him that money moving forward. This is what I know about Baker. He's absolutely matured. He has become a better decision maker, and he now recognizes that it's not all on him. Others can do their job well, and the Browns can win games. This will be a collaborative effort. The difference now is there is an expectation, and not just one with anticipation and speculation. They have proven that they can play at a certain level. Now, how do you handle success? How do you handle everyone looking at you as a team that could emerge as a division champion? I'm really impressed by Kevin Stefanski. I think he just brought the perfect attitude, the perfect temperament to that team. And now you posed it, Tim. It all comes down to whether or not Baker Mayfield can deal with this, process it, and live up to it and earn the contract. One of the best play-by-play men in the business, Ian Eagle, joining us here on Tim and Friends. And one of the things that you do as a play-by-play guy in the National Football League is you get to sit down with coaches and have conversations about their team and what they do well. And when you said you like Kevin Stefanski, you're not the only one that I've heard that from. A lot of people like Kevin Stefanski. What what is what is he impart in you that gives you that kind of confidence? Because it seems like it's not just you. There are others who feel like when they sit down with him, this is an impressive dude. Yeah, very smart. Yeah. And you, you say, well, that that's a given. No, not always. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> very calm. And I think it's what the franchise needed. They needed to change their personality. They tried it a different way. This was the right way to go. This is what Baker needed. He needed someone that was going to balance out the highs 
and create a level that they could operate on consistently. And I think he's an excellent communicator and he broke through with his players based on his knowledge. Not necessarily rah, 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 and and I think that's part of it. But when you can impart and articulate how you see a game plan developing in a game and then it plays out that way, you build trust with your players. And I saw that over the course of the season with the Browns last year. It's funny because I thought the Browns took a a real big step when they realized they were a real good running team and that they had an offensive line that could carry this team and not put the pressure every game on Baker Mayfield to make the throws, which is why it surprised me that the Bengals went and got Jamar Chase early. What what did you make – of their first round pick and did you expect them to do more to try and fortify an offensive line to protect a quarterback that we all looked at in his rookie year and thought this guy might have it yeah uh, Tim I think you nailed it Uh, it was surprising to me now behind the scenes we don't know how much by play there was between Bengals management and Joe Burrow unlike Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers maybe there was a conversation about his former standout at LSU and whether or not he believes that could be the combination moving forward to bring the Bengals offense to another level. Boyd is still an excellent receiver. I think they felt they had to address A.J. Green moving on, and that was the best way to do it. But their offensive line still is a question mark. And the reason why Joe Burrow did not make it through his rookie season was basically that offensive line, the amount of hits that he was taking. But with that said, there's a presence with Burrow, and you could feel it last year. You just know it. You know when you're watching an NFL talent, and he had that look. From day one, it just felt like this guy belongs, and I see the trajectory still moving up. The difference, it's one thing to be an NFL talent and to stand out at the quarterback position. Does it translate into wins? And there are certain guys that can now make that leap based on the team that's around them. I don't know if the rest of the Bengals squad is ready quite yet, Mm -hmm. but they will be an improved team. A healthy Joe Burrow puts them in a different category in the AFC North. You know, it's it's a remarkable amount of of pressure to put on a young quarterback, but we've seen it before. Like Andrew Luck dragged. I mean, he had a better team that surrounded him in Indianapolis, but You know, there are other quarterbacks who, okay, first-year struggles, but, you know, sophomore, third year started to drag their team even if they didn't have the surroundings. And you wonder if Joe Burrow might be able to do that. I think he's capable uh, from what I've seen of him. Now, I'm yet to call a game of his in person because the Bengals were not quite at the, the level in which they were getting big time assignments on CBS. My hope is that they bust through a little bit. I want to see this kid. I want to see him in action. I want to sit down. I want to talk to him. Everything I've heard about him has been first rate that he can handle this. And I trust the people that I'm speaking with that he's the real deal. All right, Ian, I'm going to put the pressure on you. How do you see we're doing all these previews, we're going through all the divisions, and you've been handed the toughest one. I admit it. How do you see it breaking down in the AFC North? Well, uh, you've definitely put me under the microscope here because... <laughs> Apologize. I did I add know, the caveat. I, I did add the caveat. I get it. I get it. It's part of the deal. You come on with these segments. You can't sorry. just say goodbye. you got to have some oomph <laughs> at the end. Uh, I really think... I'm anti-oomph. 
To be honest, <laughs> you're right? anti. I'm kind of anti him, but I but. think Cleveland is ready. The question I have with them is to be a division champion and to really take that next step. You've got to find ways to win, even on days where you don't have it. I think they're there. And I'm going to go out and say it. I think the Browns win the division. I think the Ravens slot in number two. The Steelers slot in three. And the Bengals get better just based on Burrow hopefully being healthy. But they're not ready to to leave the basement of the AFC North quite yet. Although I'm anti-oomph, I agree with you. I think the Cleveland Browns found something. And what they found was... Don't put it all on Mayfield's shoulders and he becomes a better quarterback for you. They have every single piece, offense, defense. Right. They just, they're the best team top to bottom. And I think they really, by taking um, the pressure off of Mayfield, they actually found something. And Tim, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because for years this is not a word you would use in relation to the Cleveland Browns. Yes. They feel stable. Yeah, there's stability there. And I really believe that Kevin Stefanski is a big reason why his whole comportment is rubbing off on his team. And I do believe there's a belief. Forget about the buildup, because a couple of years ago, they were not ready. Yeah, clearly they were not ready. Yep. Now I think they're actually ready. Yeah, and I called them out then, but I'm, I'm with you. Everyone yeah. says we're coming in. We're changing the culture. Not a lot of people can actually do it. Dwayne Casey did it in Toronto with the Raptors. I think Kevin Stefanski is on his way to doing it with, lo and behold, the Cleveland Browns, and I never thought we would say that. I Always great catching up with you. Thank you so much for doing this. Tim, great to see you. And uh, I did not have hair and makeup. Let's just get that out in the open. This is all natural. <laughs> yes, I didn't have hair, period. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. There is Iron Eagle. Uh, one of the best play-by-play men in the business joining us here on Tim and Friends. Great to catch up with him. Time for one last break. We'll catch up with Jesse Rubinoff. We'll do last call next right here. Tim and Friends on Sportsnet 360. All right, let's send you out with a smile as we always attempt to do here on Tim and Friends with Last Call, Jesse Rubinoff. What do you got for us today? No flies in the vicinity, so we're all good, all clear. Right? I shouldn't have called that out after I no, felt like a bit of a, it. was just, it was kind of sort of funny yeah, in the real happened. world. No, it happened. It was it was a fact. I was definitely doing this. Uh, okay, great day or great night for Canada last night. Great day for Canada at the Paralympics on Wednesday. Swimmer yeah. Orly Rivar won her second gold of the Games and fourth medal overall smashing her own world record in the 400-meter freestyle by about five whole seconds, while 7'2", Greg Stewart of Kamloops, BC, took gold in the shot put, setting a new Paralympic record in the process. And wheelchair racer Brent Lakatos from Dorval, Quebec, captured his third silver medal of these games and 10th of his career in the men's 100 meters. What do you say to those three accomplishments? I guess it. By the way, can we show the seven foot two U Sports basketball player who happens to throw the shot put again? Like, unbelievable story he is. And to capture gold and just to see how impressive an athlete he is yeah. is remarkable. Like, you know he played U Sports basketball? Didn't know that. With with I mean, he has the extension of an arm. 
and no hand on the end of the arm, but he is an unbelievable athlete. And just whenever you throw the shot put beyond the last white line on the grass, you know <laughs> you that you, you've done something well. So uh, an unbelievable story, and I, I love seeing the Paralympics. Love the great vibes for Canada yeah, the last that. 24 hours. It's been good. Uh, it's been quite a season for Robbie Ray, speaking of good vibes. Yes. Uh, in addition to his great play on the field, he's also becoming known for his signature tight pants. Now today, tight pants on. yeah, he tweeted, hey, Blue Jays fans want to support tight pants. About my tight pants. And a great, no, that's fine. You can keep going if you want. No, I want to I want to let this breathe because he's doing an amazing thing with the tight pants. Yeah, I mean, I don't even need to continue to read the tweet. You can see no, it you... right there. My wife and I had a blast making these shirts. You can go by, why don't we click on this here? Yeah, I'm clicking on it. And uh, there's plenty of options. Uh, that looks like the, oh no, I thought it was sold out. But those are, I mean, sign me up. Like, So all proceeds from this Robbie Ray tight pants shirt go to Jay's Care. 100%, 100%. of them. Right. You can get the shirts at www.500level.com. Um, does this tell us anything about his future in Toronto? Yeah. If he would go out, make a tight pants blue t-shirt that might not be translatable and then is donating 100% of the proceeds to Jay's Care Foundation. Yeah, he stay. <laughs> there it is. Rubinov. I was, I was just trying maybe to draw some sign, of, some sort of line That's between it. the two, but Rubinov right coming hard with the fight. Let's get it trending again. Six Hashtag he's, he's staying. staying. He's staying. Yeah. Remember when we did the Kawhi, he's leaving, he's staying? Yes, of course. Everything that went on, yeah. we would do, he's leaving, he's staying. <laughs> Are we going to do that with Ricky Ray and Marcus Semien? Yes, I think we, we have to because two integral parts of the team. And Robbie Ray's clearly staying now. <laughs> I said Ricky Ray again. I keep totally understand him. I didn't want to call you out No, it, it's a dollar in the jar. But it only started happening when Ricky Romero was here. I mean, that one was impossible. Robbie Ray, Ricky Romero. We were talking CFL, talking about Ricky Ray yeah. earlier in that show. Like, that's just, that's impossible. Yeah, I got to get out of that mind bleak, though. Yeah. Robbie Ray is the man's name. I mean, Put Everyone some respect on that name, McAuliffe. This could be a Cy Young Award winner. Mr. Tight Apparently, according to... Jesse Rubinoff is staying. He's, yeah, he's staying. Uh, as mentioned, Canada will take on Honduras tomorrow at yes, BMO Field. Let's go! Let's go! Qualifying, of course, Honduras crushed the Canada Team Canada's dreams in 2012 with a humiliating 8-1 win in San Pedro Sula in what was a very hostile environment for the Canadians. Now, uh, I just want to bring something to your attention, Timmy. Okay. I don't know if you can see this, but uh, Matthew Doyle tweeting this out not too long ago. Honduran media is accusing Canada of spying on the Honduran national team training sessions by using a drone that you can see circled on the screen there. Uh, a, do you think this is actually happening? B, do you think they need the help of the drone or should Canada beat Honduras? tomorrow night. Listen, nothing is given in this octagon. Nothing is given. Uh, it seems as though Canada is favored in this game, but if anyone who has followed Canadian soccer in the past, they know that you can't take anything for granted. So, uh, listen, I don't know where the drone came from. I don't know if Canada soccer is that deep into this or if it's just some dude flying a drone in the area who happens to be filming things. Uh, I don't know if the Hondurans realize, but a lot of people have drones. <laughs> yes. Right? Like, that's... 
blossoming industry. Yeah, it is a very blossoming industry. Yeah. So it might be nothing, it might be something. I'm guessing that it is nothing. But I will say this, nothing is given. But Canada's team, and I've said this before, I said it in June when they were playing Suriname. This is the most talented Canadian squad that I have ever seen, and I am more confident in their abilities than I ever have been in the past, and that goes back to 1986 when they qualified for a World Cup. Three spots available, a tough eight teams. You're going to have to beat out someone good. I don't know if it's the States. I don't know if it's Costa Rica. I don't know if it's Honduras. I don't know if it's Mexico that ends up on the outside looking mm -hmm. in, but there will be a good team from CONCACAF on the outside looking in. This is as good a Canada squad as I have ever seen, and I'm looking forward to this little three-game spurt. Same. There are less than 1,500 tickets remaining for tomorrow night's match. Capacity will be 15,000 at I, uh, Field. I hope that that's the majority of the voyageurs in Canada mm -hmm. in that stadium. Because in the past, we've struggled at BMO to support Canada's team because of all of the expats in this country. Right. So we're going to have to see. Uh, Canadians, get out there, cheer on the boys. This is a wonderful team and an exciting team. Okay, moving on. Kimi Raikkonen confirmed today that he will retire from Formula One at the end of the season. Raikkonen is the last driver to win a championship for Ferrari in 2007 and has started more races than any driver in the history of the sport. How will you remember Raikkonen's career, or do you want me to pivot and ask Sebi, because he is the resident Formula One oh, expert? I want, I want to answer this one, and I chuckled immediately, because when I heard this news, I asked uh, our crew to grab some visuals. And listen, Kimi Raikkonen is a great driver. I mean, he's kind of... Uh, he's not as much in the mix as he used to be Definitely, in the mix, yeah. and he's kind of fallen off a little bit. But in 2006, he pulled off the most baller move in the history of sports. He crashed out of a race in Monaco, and he decided instead of walking back to the pits, he would just walk through city streets. <laughs> Cameras followed him, and they wondered, what the hell is he doing? Where the hell is Kimi Raikkonen going? I don't know how they had cameras all the way. He walked to his boat, grabbed some champagne, and instead of going to the pits, he sat on his boat shirtless and just hammered champagne. If that's not the most baller move in the history of sports, I don't know what is. If you had a boat in that vicinity, you would do the same thing, right? You're a baller. Not even go back to the pits? No, they communicate through headset. You say, hey guys, I'm done for the day. See you later. I'm going to the boat. Yeah, he loved peace and hair grease everybody <laughs> and went to his boat with his family. Unbelievable. Surprised he didn't retire then and there. Jays are on Sportsnet. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.